Welcome to the In Doubt Podcast, where we explore the challenging topics that young adults often face. Each week, we talk with guests who help answer questions of faith, life, and culture, connecting them to our daily experiences and God's Word. For more info on In Doubt, visit indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin. And on today's episode, I have the great opportunity of chatting with Chris Brown, who is a writer, author, speaker in the United States. But he has a really crazy story. We go a little bit into that about his his life of like, it, it, it's nuts. We don't spend too much time there, though, because what we're talking mostly about is how do you live, you know, if you have a really difficult past, how do you now walk forward and, and live in light of that? How do you use that to fuel your future? Like, how do you walk with the Lord and use that for ministry, for helping other people? So hope you find this episode helpful. I know I found it helpful just even chatting with Chris about it. So enjoy. Hey, welcome to In Doubt. This is Daniel Markin. And today I'm joined by Chris Brown. And maybe you know who he is, maybe you don't, but I'll leave that up to him to introduce himself. So Chris, welcome to the program. Thank you for being with us today. How you doing, man? I'm doing great. Honored to be on the show. Um, hey, listen, if you've never heard of me, that's fine. I'm, I'm totally good. Um, but uh, I'm just a ministry guy. I absolutely love Jesus. Uh, I've been in ministry now for 20 years, doing a variety of different things from uh, radio, to podcast, to speaking, to writing. Uh, whatever I can do to show my gratitude to the Lord. Um, and when I wake up in the morning, I'm just like, hey, how, what kind of impact can I make for God's glory? And uh, that's taken me around the country quite a bit. Uh, I've served a little bit in uh, Miami, Florida. Uh, I've served a little bit in uh, North Carolina, also in Tennessee. Um, lived in California, lived in Colorado, and uh, spent some good time in the Caribbean. I haven't been up to Canada yet, but uh, anyway, ministry has taken me a few places and uh, yeah it just looks different in every season and in this season uh just wrote a book and um, i'm loving talking about it so good hey chris well thank you for being on here um i don't want to you know belabor um our intro too much because i want to get into your story um you've written a book on this called restored and, and i want you to kind of take us through some of that but uh, maybe just to start you know would you let us know kind of like i guess in a sense like a testimony begin to walk us through your story of where you've been and then, you know, how the Lord has brought you here. And, and even like with that, you know, you've written about this. What was the event that kind of made you want to begin to tell your story? Because I know a lot of people keep that stuff private. You know, for some people, it's like they're embarrassed about their past. Um, for others, they just don't want to like burden people with their past. Yet you're unique in that you like, you just openly want to share it and openly want to tell people about your past. And so i uh, love to hear a little bit about your story here. Yeah, so just catch everyone up to speed on a, a little bit, just a flyover of what the book's about and, and my story. Uh, I grew up in a childhood filled with instability and violence and several father figures going to jail, abuse shelters, sleeping underneath piers and bridges, sleeping in the backseat of a car, um, 17 different schools, drugs, the narcotics, the in and out of uh, parents out of detox and uh um, rehab centers. It just, it couldn't be, I don't know if it could be much worse. Uh, it was just a really tragic upbringing. And um, to, to, to really um, zone in on your question of, was there a time of why I felt like I needed to tell this story? 
It's because I was in a uh, boardroom. I, I've been in an opportunity. I've had great opportunities to serve in ministries that are just thriving ministries with these incredible leaders. And uh, somehow I keep finding myself in these spots. And I was serving for this uh, ministry. And, and maybe some of you guys uh, know that you guys listening in can know this ministry, but it's uh, Ramsey Solutions, a gentleman by the name of Dave Ramsey, who's uh, kind of like a uh, national and a little bit of an international um, name when it comes to uh, teaching about personal finance. And I was in this meeting and there was a bunch of board members all huddled around a table and they were dissecting my latest talk. It was in front of like 10,000 people uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, and uh, they were dissecting it frame by frame on what I could have done better technique wise and facial expression and body posture and voice fluctuation and just content. And one, one person uh, spoke up and said, man, Chris, there's just something about when you're up there, uh, everyone just automatically assumes that you were born with a silver spoon in your mouth. You're, you, you kind of are, come across as a very polished speaker from a, maybe a high end family. And, and uh, you need to, you need to be more real and more vulnerable. And I was just like, I had this moment. I'm like, you have got to be kidding me. I didn't say it out loud, but <laughs> internally I was, I was battling between two emotions. I was like, okay, have I just really been successful at deceiving everybody that I came from that kind of upbringing or do they have a point? Do I need to lead out with vulnerability more often? And, and then that is, that's the day where I felt like I need to be more open and honest and vulnerable about my past. And I'm really passionate about this topic called stewardship. Uh, it's not a topic. I, I, I just sold it. I undersold it. It's a biblical concept. Uh, it's beyond a topic. Uh, stewardship is uh, managing God's blessings, God's way for God's glory. When you hear the word stewardship, uh, if you're listening in, you're like, oh, this guy's going to be talking about a, a capital campaign at a church or talking about money. No, stewardship is so much deeper than that. It is managing everything that God has allowed us to manage. Um, the Bible says in Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Uh, fullness thereof means in all it contains. If you look up the original language for the word all, it means everything, all. It's exactly what it means. And so we are managing not only money, but time and energy and relationships and our story. We are managing what's happened in our life, our experiences, our stories for him. And so I came to the point where I'm like, yes, I've been through a lot of tragedies. What am I going to do about it? Am I going to suppress them? Am I going to ignore them? I'm probably not even going to dwell on them. I don't want to dwell on them, but what can I do? And so that, that's where the, my journal came. And then my journal turned into a book. And it is the tagline of the book. The book is about restoration. It's called Restored. And the tagline is transforming the sting of your past into purpose for today. And now as a grown adult, what gets me up every morning, every single day, I'm, I'm asking myself the question, how can I transform the sting of my past into purpose for today? How can I give it purpose? How can I give God glory? It, yes, it was unfortunate, but um, there's not a whole lot of benefits. There's no benefits to having a victim's mentality. And uh, so for me, it is to suck the nutrients out of those experiences so I can do some good. Mm. Thank you for sharing that. And 
like you know even <laughs> filleting yourself open with you know with that like you're there, there's so much there um you're tapping into something that i think we get quite wrong with christianity a lot which is that if you become a believer if you become a christian that life is going to be easier for you and so often like it's easier in some ways in many ways, actually, it's going to be harder. In fact, it's almost like guaranteed, you know, like you're now in a spiritual war. The enemy's not happy about that. And I would imagine, and I just want to, you know, even get more real with you on this, like, as you think about that, you know, that sting, what's it like waking up every morning? Like, I imagine, you know, if I'm in your shoes, it still stings every time you wake up, right? Like, if I'm you, I'm, th I'm thinking like, every time you wake up, it's like, this still hurts. And, and maybe, you know, you've moved through it, but... I don't know, are there moments where you're like, you feel like you can't get out of your own way, like your past is like still there with you? And then how do you like move past that? Because it's, it's one thing to be completely past something, but with something so significant to like who you are as a person, it shapes you, it transforms you. So I, I imagine like in some ways you're, you can be thankful for that past, but in other ways you're like, you wish it never happened. How do you balance that being thankful and also like just wanting to be rid of your past? Yeah, so in some way, the way you just asked the question it brought me to an analogy. Uh, I've never used this analogy before, so pardon me if it doesn't work, if it's not good. <laughs> but I, for some reason, it, this is the way my brain thinks. It, uh, I, I think of gasoline. Okay, gasoline can be destructive. It can hurt. Like you're saying, like you talked about opening up the wounds, or you said something along the lines of bringing that pain back every time you do that. And the gasoline could be, it can, gasoline blows things up. If you were to drink gasoline, it would not be good. If you got gasoline in a cut, gasoline is not necessarily a good thing. However, that same gasoline is what I'm using as fuel. It's what you would use if you were like to start your mower or start your blower or start your car or, or it's what fuels your house. Gasoline can be used for good. It is my ministry rocket fuel. Like if you take that gasoline container and it's filled with all these memories and all this pain, I actually use that as rocket fuel to help me minister to people. I can't have the empathy for a dying parent or a miscarriage or getting beat up underneath a bridge or any of these things that have happened to me in my lifetime unless I went through them, unless I have the gas, unless I have the gasoline container. And so I feel like I just use it every day. It is my rocket fuel. What, what, just an example of this is my wife's uh, dad, after like 13 years of being told he was going to die any minute, lived for 13 years. Just think about that, a whole family on pins and needles, wondering when he was going to die because of a brain tumor. And um, for 13 years, he deteriorated physically, and they had to see that in his mind and physically, and this whole process. And then he finally passed away. And so that right there, he died at like, I forget the age is mid fifties or mid forties, way too young. And he was super active. He ate well, there was no reason for it. And uh, for us, we're just, we're reminded that life is short. And so here I am at 44, my wife's at 41. And we're just like, no, we get up every morning and we are just gung ho going after it a hundred mile an hour, trying to give God glory. I don't think we would have that urgency if we didn't have three out of four of our parents die before they were 55. Wow. That's deep, man. And that's, I'm sorry to hear about that loss. And was that recent or? Uh, no, the last, the last, um, my mom, I think died in 2011. I think that was the last one. Yeah. So now we have one, her mom is still alive and she's, 
a matriarch of our family and she's amazing. And so I feel like I hit the mother-in-law lottery, but uh, yeah, three out of four parents, uh, three out of four parents, you know, had died. And when my dad died 17 days before I got married. So that was just a brutal, our, our honeymoon was just in grief, you know? So we've been through some stuff and it's everyone listening in, you have too. you know, we all have different pains. Maybe your story is not like my story, but you do have a choice. You have a choice on, you have a mindset that you can either play the victim card. By the way, the only person that's ever invited to a pity party is the devil. The only person that's ever there when you're feeling sorry for yourself, that's just the enemy trying to take you out. And so I just encourage everybody, man, just surround yourself around people um, that pull you up and don't push you down. Um, people that aren't saying, no, yeah, you've, you've had it so rough. Oh, and like try to push you to this like overdwelling on it. Uh, don't ignore it. I tell people don't ignore past pain and don't run toward it either, but you dance with it. And by the way, I say you lead the dance. And so you're telling it, hey, right now you need to go in the closet and shut the door. I don't need you right now. Or pull it out so you, you know, I need this pain. I need to relive it for a second so that I have some empathy in the situation. And you kind of just lead it. You dance with it. Don't ignore it. Don't run toward it. But you know it's there and you lead it and you tell it who's boss. You're in charge, not your pain. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you this. What's the difference between pity and grieving? Good question. Right? Or what, what's the difference between like feeling sorry for yourself and then and grieving? Because I, I feel like those can be confused for the same thing many times. And, you know, as, as an adult myself, you know, look to you maybe for a little bit more wisdom on that. So how do you, how do you actually grieve instead of just throwing a pity party? Yeah, that's such a good question. That might be the best question I've heard in a while. That's deep. <laughs> you know, I'm not a clinical psychologist at all, so I don't pretend to be. But as I process your question, I think that the variable is when it starts to really hold you back long term. I think there's a process of grieving to make sense of something and to uh, allow yourself to really think through the value of what you lost, it not being there. So I, I think that for the time, like allow yourself a season. For some people, it's a month. Sometimes it's two months. Sometimes it's six months. But I think when you are going around in a hamster wheel of the same thoughts over and over again, and you are actually limiting progress in your life to create new positive memories to drown out the things that you're grieving when it's holding you back like that. It's the same thing with a, how do you know it's God's voice and the devil's voice? How do you know if it's condemnation or conviction? How do you know if it's shame or you're just got a healthy Holy spirit conviction? You didn't ask this question, but this is this, this right here is kind of like a parallel to it. How do I know which one's which when, whenever it is that feeling that you have of guilt and shame and condemnation, that is going to hold you back and make you want to retreat and give you less confidence to move forward in your calling. Conviction actually is a feeling and an emotion that makes the, I want to get better. I want to get better. I want to know the Lord more. I want to fall in love with the Lord more. I guess I feel convicted about my current state of how close I am to God, but man, this conviction Thank you, God. It's proof to me that you care about me, that you love me enough. Your Holy Spirit's active in my life, and it propels me forward to love Jesus more. And so those are the differences, the little nuances. One makes you want to retreat. So if your grief is holding you back and making you want to retreat, recluse, be a hermit crab, uh, and it's like three months in, four months in, you probably need to start throttling up to first gear and second gear and and, and create some new memories. Mm-hmm. That's so 
interesting, that nuance between retreat and actually action. Because I, I think each one of us go through those moments and maybe you have those thoughts, but it's like conviction sucks in the moment. But the also behind it is like kind of that gasoline. We're like, I actually want to like push through this and, and move through this. And, and it requires an honesty and it requires us to be honest about our past, honest about our failings. But that's where the grace of God comes in. God already knows that I'm a complete disaster. And in, in this moment, he's showing me this. And I can either like try and hide that from him, which again, is just so funny. It's like back to Adam trying to hide from, from God in the garden. It's like, he knows, he knows this. So with that is an invitation to be honest before the Lord. And I think that speaks to what, you know, we see with John, the gospel writer, but also he writes this in 1 John where he talks about walking in the light. Walking in the light is not perfection. It's not like I have all my ducks in a row and now that I'm living this perfect life with perfect thoughts and perfect actions, I'm, I'm actually walking in the light. It's actually walking with honesty about where you are and then bringing that to the Lord. And, and as you were talking about, you know, the grieving you know, there's, there's things where it's like, maybe we're grieving idols that are being stripped from us and that's hard, you know, and in the long run, it's gonna be good for us, but there are also good things that we grieve. And so with that, I think, you know, if I can just give my 10 cents on, on grieving, bringing all those things to the throne, bringing all those things to God and, and being like, God, I'm upset. You take this. Like you take this, I, I don't want to deal with this. That's going to just do so much for us as we think about difficulties and grieving, because if we don't do that, it can turn into bitterness, right? And, and into that same cycle again. Did you ever experience, you know, some of that, that bitterness cycle as you thought about, you know, your past? And I even want to just jump into like, when did the Lord really meet you and just transform you? And I'd love to hear some of that, that part of your story. Yeah, I can't help but think that, uh, you know, some folks are listening in right now and uh, they're a little bit frustrated that uh, how easy I'm making it sound to go through some pain. I'm like, hey, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and Victor's mentality and write a book about it. I do want to, to draw some uh, draw some light to the fact that I'm 44 and most of my trauma happened before I was 20. So there is a time in between, and that's what you're getting at. Were there times of bitterness? You better believe it, that I didn't have the opportunities that others had, that I didn't have the upbringing that others had, that I had the emotional deficiencies that I shouldn't have had. Um, I had the experiences that I, I probably should have never seen and never heard and never been a part of. Uh, yeah, there were some bouts with that. And, you know, the, the journey has been a lot of seeking God, being around a bunch of people that spoke life into me. First Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, uh, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good behavior. Uh, another translation says corrupts good habits. And so we got to ask ourselves, who are we hanging out with? Are they pulling us out of bitterness? Or are they actually making us more bitter because like, yeah, you should, it's, who are you around? Are they pulling you up relationally, emotionally, spiritually, physically, financially, or are they pushing you down? And so uh, that's helped me. Uh, it's also helped me to see God, to find faith, to have a relationship with Jesus that's thriving, not religion, but a relationship with Jesus where he's there with me. Also really practical handles, journaling and writing out my feelings, also going to counseling, also uh, writing a book because I'm now taking it. That's the transformation thing where you're taking it. Okay, not just writing it down. It's not about me and shifting the focus of like, how do I take this? And I honor God with it. 
How do I take this and help other people with it? And this comes down to Proverbs 11 25 that says, those who refresh others themselves will be refreshed. And uh, I haven't really felt the refreshing when I go get a massage or I go to counseling or I, I need to take a little trip or a vacation, this personal care, self-care doctrine that's out there. There's nothing wrong with it. But if you're really looking for long-term refreshment, it is when you're refreshing others, not refreshing yourself. Because I, I sat on my front porch on a rocking chair with sweet tea for like 18 months when I was in the middle of a midlife crisis, when I felt discouraged, demotivated, I was moody. And I was like, okay, well, I need to take a sabbatical. I need to take some time off work. I need to focus on me. Man, the more I sat in that front porch, the more I sat in that rocking chair, I'm supposedly living this great life. I'm overlooking this beautiful farm that we own. I've got three kids that are healthy and thriving. Everything's great on paper. But I'm here focusing on myself and focusing on myself. And I actually got more in a deeper pit of discouragement because I went 18 months without thinking about others, without serving others. You're going to be the most refreshed when you're serving others. Now, that doesn't need to be a formal ministry. It doesn't need, you need some kind of corporate nonprofit. It may just be walking across the street and being a really good listener for your neighbor who's going through a similar thing that you went through 10 years ago or eight years ago or five years ago. Um, it doesn't have to be big. It just has to be others focused. Mm. You mentioned your family there. How have you begun to kind of share you know, your story with your kids? And even before that, like when you met your wife? When uh, my wife and I met in college, uh, I was the quiet, mysterious kid that had the, this mysterious past. And everyone always knew that, you know, I was, I was pretty involved in college baseball and student body president and all that kind of stuff. But I was super quiet and no one knew anything about my, my uh, past. They just knew something was not normal because I went to a Christian college with a lot of just a lot of rich kids were there. So I have, it was pretty obvious I wasn't one of them. But uh, as my wife and I dated, I started to tell her a little bit, a little bit here, a little bit there, because I didn't want her to know who she was marrying. I didn't want to feel like I was being someone I'm not for, you know, the next 50, 60 years of being married. So I started to give her little glimpses of it. And uh, as much as I thought she could handle at once, same thing with my kids, just gave them little glimpses of it. And now, as they've all now read the book, uh, now they're getting all of these like glimpses of a story in HD, because in a book, I can really explain exactly the situation. And, and just to let everybody know, too, the book is, is uh, it's really story-based uh, in each chapter, a, a story, a compelling story that happened to me. But I then go into what I learned, and then I went into what the reader could learn or possibly learn some advice in their situation that may be similar. Uh, so that's kind of how the book format is. But uh, my kids are learning through that process. They learn more and more about me. And uh, they've been able to appreciate the, the journey that I've been on that has had some cycles of bitterness. And, I, you know, every time you get married or go into a relationship, uh, whether you're married or not, you're going into a relationship with baggage. You're going to have some kind of baggage that you're bringing in. And mine just happens to be rejection, always feeling like I'm rejected. I'm not good enough, which would be very natural with my upbringing. Another one would be not being able to handle conflict. Another one's a scarcity mindset. These are things that were baggage that I brought in that Holly, my wife Holly, has helped me navigate. She brought in another whole set of baggage that was completely different. But we all bring our, uh, our baggage, and that's what makes it beautiful, is we can help each other become our best selves. Yeah, that's so good, man. 
What's one piece of advice that you would give to someone going through a really hard time right now? Well, I would just say, um, don't underestimate who you're around. Um, the Bible's really clear. I talked about that a little bit earlier about, about making sure you're careful of who you're around. There's a, a stat out there that your, your income is just from a financial standpoint. Your income over your lifetime will be within 10% of the 10 people you hang out with the most. So who are you hanging out with? They're either going to be speaking life into you or they're going to be pulling you down. And so for me, um, God does speak to us directly. I've got a chapter in the book that talks about his fingerprints. When I look back at my life, his fingerprints were all throughout my life. He doesn't have to use people to do his thing. He can just snap his finger. He doesn't bypass using humans, but he chooses to use humans. And so you had talked about isolation a little bit a minute ago. Those of you in isolation, you will not get out of this pit of despair and discouragement and even depression and anxiety and feeling overwhelmed by yourself. You just won't. You won't do it. You were designed to be around other people. And just a little bit, 30 more seconds on this. I spent 12 years on airplanes, jet setting all over the world to minister to people on platforms that were gigantic and it was great for my ego. But Daniel, can I tell you that in those 12 years, I felt so lonely. The thing is that I was speaking to hundreds of thousands of people every year on stages, getting a ton of data boys, a ton of high fives, even hugging people in green rooms behind big stages. And I had all of these surface level friends and I quit all of that. The reason why I quit all that is because I was starving. What was I starving for? I was starving for real, local, deep community. Inside each and every one of us, we are starving, no matter who you are. You're like, Chris, you don't even know me. No, I know you're human and you're listening in today. You are made with a, a, a you're starving for two things, purpose and community. So find the intersection of those two things in your hometown and get involved in that and it will refresh your soul. Yeah. Great place for that is the local church. And so, yes. you know, um, that's a great place to start. Find a church, get involved, get involved with the people, serve one another, serve with them, and you'll just see how that transforms you. You know, it doesn't happen overnight, but it happens over time. You look back a couple months, a year, and, you, and it's just going to be like, wow, you're in a completely different place than you were. So, hey, Chris, thank you, man, for, for being here. Thank you for your time. Thank you for sharing and look forward to reading your book and checking that out. If people want to find this book, find your resources, you know, maybe pass stuff to, where do they go? It is sold everywhere that books are sold, but uh, the two best ones would be my website, chrisbrownonair.com, which is all of my Instagram, all the, all the social feeds are all Chris Brown on air. And then uh, of course, Amazon. Amazon's a good choice as well. Thanks again, man, yes. for being on the program and look forward to speaking with you soon. All right, thank you, Daniel. for listening. If you want to hear more, subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or visit us online at indoubt.ca or indoubt.com. We're also on social media, so make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. In Doubt is a ministry that exists to engage young people with biblical truth and provide answers for many of today's questions of life, faith, and culture. 
through audio programs, articles, and blogs, InDoubt reaches out to encourage, strengthen, and disciple young adults. To check out all the resources of InDoubt, visit InDoubt.ca in Canada or InDoubt.com in the U.S. Or if you're in a position or share a passion for the ministry of young people, you can support the ongoing mission of engaging a new generation with the truth of the Bible. First, you can pray for this ministry. And second, and if you are able, please consider a financial gift by visiting indoubt.ca in Canada or indoubt.com in the U.S. Your gift of any amount is such a blessing and an answer to prayer. Thanks.